The point is getting to the point fast. The point is hearing the nation on your morning commute. The point is having couchside feel like courtside. The point is journalism that gets right to the point of the story and why it matters to you. USA Today, to the point. third episode of the Baseball Eyes Have It podcast with your solo host tonight, Chris Blessing. My co-host Brent Hershey is still on assignment. It seemed like he was rallying from his cold earlier this week, but it just got worse. He, as co-general manager of Baseball HQ, has decided to place himself on the IL retroactive to Saturday, August 20th. He'll be eligible to come off the IL soon. When you place a co-host in the IL, you either do the show solo or you bring on a guest. I can talk all night to myself. I don't think anybody would want to hear my solo ramblings. Just ask my wife. You'll tune me out in no time. So I sent out a message to a friend, and he's agreed to come on to the show this week. You know him from many places, like Razball, Prospects Live, Perfect Game, and his current gig is Prospect Writer at Baseball America. You actually know him by many names, too, but uh, his real name is the name that he uses now, So, and he laughs. Uh, he was our first guest of the season for episode 23, and he's helping us get through Brent's IL stint. Please welcome my friend, Jeff Ponce, to the show. Welcome. Hey, how's it going, Chris? I'm uh, I'm excited to get the call up here to, to step in, uh, you know, and play a couple of games while, uh, while, the star, while the star's in the IL, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I don't think Brent expected this call to really hit him that hard, but it's uh, um, it's hit him pretty hard. He thought he was rallying, and then it it all came crashing down, unfortunately. But he's probably asleep while we record this, so hopefully he's uh, he's relaxed and uh, and uh, will be ready to go next week. Um, so while I was planning this earlier this after- afternoon, my thought process was pretty much everywhere. Jeff is. Uh, well, we talk more than I talk to any other of the scouting people out there that are in media. Um, we bounce off a lot of things off of each other. Um, we have some inside jokes as well. Uh, there are uh, subjects we can talk about that could go on for hours and days. So, um, And before we came on, we've already talked for like 30 minutes. It seems. So <laughs> um, I wish we had the time for that, but we don't. So um, what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to keep it, it, this on as much topic as we can. I've got three topics today. But first, before we get to them, I like to talk about Baseball America. Uh, this year, the staff has really stepped it up. Uh, and as a subscriber, your addition to the staff and has really kind of rounded out everything. I, I feel like it was a stellar group before. I feel like you filled in some areas that, uh, especially with your Kate coverage, um, that uh, has really created an a interesting niche for you. And you are incredibly versatile, as we, you know, anybody who's followed you through the years knows. Uh, what have been some of your most enjoyable assignments this year? Yeah, I, you know, I think the thing that's really fun about this now is. Um, you know, first being able to devote my my time to it, you know, um, <laughs> over the course of the summer with three kids home in the house with me all day long, 
I can't wait until my wife gets home and I can either head to a ballpark or turn some games on MILB uh, TV and, you know, get caught up on the different teams that, uh, you know, that I cover for systems. It's just more efficient. I can watch, you know, three affiliates of the Blue Jays or something in a given night and, you know, um, can't do that necessarily if I'm at the ballpark every night. So it's been a, you know, a bit of balance in that. Um, but early on, I think it was, uh, it was fun to get out to Florida to sort of kick things off uh, back in March was down there days after um, the lockout had, had finally been solved and ended. Um, you know, it was my first experience being down there covering spring training. I had been to spring training a couple of different times, um, you know, over the course of the last, you know, 10, 15 years, but um, never just, you know, by myself out there to cover baseball for a week. And that was great. You know, I, I limited camps out there. It's not like going to Arizona where you can see 10 teams, but I was able to hone in on the Marlins. I got to see Yuri Perez. I got to see all of their young international talent and draft talent from last year. Um, you know, I got to see Brady House um, a couple of times. I think I got off of a plane. I drove to the field and I saw a game that had Brady House in it. It had um, Juan Bin Cho, who I don't think anybody had really seen. Um, you know, the uh, the Korean signee uh, from the Cardinals last year. Um, I got to see, you know, Gordon Graceffo hit 100 miles per hour. Uh, wow. I got to see all these these Astros players. I, you know, it's still not a great system, but credit due. Like I, there were a lot of players who took a jump in the Astros system this year. A lot of pitchers, sort of mid tier guys in other systems. You know, um, they don't really have a whole a whole lot of sort of top tier talent outside of like Hunter Brown or you know, depending on how you look at Yonder Diaz. Um, and I'd say you know maybe on the on the periphery of that is like a, a Pedro Leon or something, but. Um, they had a lot of guys like Justin Durden, who's a really good player. He's had a really good season, kind of an unusual path uh, to pro ball. You know, um, Adrian Scheides, who they've turned to a, a starting pitcher. He was a reliever primarily at UCLA. Um, and it was just cool to be there and see all these arms, um, you know, all the all the draft guys from last year, like Spencer Arigetti, um, you know, Miley, some of those guys, just to get and I, cause they're not guys you necessarily going to seek out. The other thing is I don't see a lot of Houston affiliates here any longer. Yeah. Um, you know, try Valley or tri city or whatever. Valley cats are now an independent team. There's no such thing as short season in the New York Penn league. So I don't see those guys, um, seeing the Marlins, seeing Khalil Watson while he was still playing really well. <laughs> like Khalil Watson was <laughs> awesome when I saw him and scouts were <laughs> raving about him. And then like things kind of went South following a few weeks later, you know, as he got into, regular season play, et cetera. But um, that was a lot of fun. I got to see Jacob DeGrom. I got to see Yuri Perez pitch live against a bunch of major leaguers, a bunch of guys that are, you know, playing prominent roles of the Mets right now. Um, you know, I got to see the Mets guys, not as many arms as I wanted to see uh, from their system. So all the Cardinals guys, Walker, I, you know, I was reporting on Mason Wynn's swing change really early. Um, and how yeah, you got that very early. Yeah. And um, so that was a lot of fun because it was a different experience. Um, I got the opportunity to go to Cleveland for a week and um, which I actually really enjoyed my time in Cleveland. Like it was where I was staying was nice and I got great food and um, you know, Lake County is a really easy park to get in and out of. So easy. Yeah. And um, it's not loaded. So like in terms of folks, so like I was able to set up cameras and get good shots like Joe and Kenzie Noel um you know eddie's leonard uh johnny deluca i was able to get some eyes on the numbers that led me to deluca um some of my conversations with the folks that do athletic testing pre-draft led me to deluca 
And then he saw him and I was like, this guy's legit. And look now, I mean, he's had a tremendous season. Yeah. He's up in double A Tulsa now. Um, I think is a legitimate major league prospect. But I got to see Gavin Williams that week. I got to see Aaron Davenport that week. I got to see Gavin Stone that week. Um, and, you know, like Doug McKenzie, Hickman, um, didn't make it over to Akron, but I could have seen like Logan Allen. It was just a, a pick em in terms of who was going and Gavin Stone versus Logan Allen. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's an easy. Yeah, that's so easy it was choice. it was just the, loaded on both sides. You know, that was a lot of fun because it was there for, for a full series. Um, and then, you know, Cape coverage and just bouncing around here and, uh, you know, getting out to the ballpark in New Hampshire and Worcester down the road for me and, and Hartford. Um, and then just a lot of Cape coverage. I mean, I think I hit another yeah. 25 plus games. And had I not, had I not had COVID the first week of the Cape, <laughs> I probably would have hit over 30 again. Um, but just, a, it was a time limitation thing. I, I went to see Wizen Hunt and then tested positive two days later for COVID. Oh. So yeah, it was a big, me, oh. me and other, and there were a lot of folks in the scouting community, I guess actually tested positive, uh, yeah. after that Wizen Hunt game. Cause it was, it was close quarters. I heard the same thing happen at Worlds, where a lot of scouts uh, yeah. test positive afterwards. Uh, I want to echo your sen- sentiments about the Cleveland area. Um, I really thought I wasn't going to enjoy it in 2019. I went there for the mm-hmm. Futures game and for the All-Star weekend. And also I went and um, at that time, Mahoning Valley was New York Penn League. They were in town and they were about an hour away. And then also, and that had George Valera and, um, you know, all those really good prospects that are now in double A for them. Um, yeah. And then um, at that same time, Lake County was in town, too. And I actually met up with uh, <laughs> the Prospect 1500 folks uh, at that game. And so I got to hang out with them, uh, give, give Scotty Green some hard times about some of the players that he was not buying on. Uh, <laughs> but it was a good time and i actually while i was there i actually talked uh they have a little con- they had a little convention i don't know if they do that anymore but uh i i was one of the speakers uh paternostro from um uh, baseball prospectus and um what i think there was somebody else there oh yeah um ray butler i can't believe that's who i hung out with pretty much the whole time uh prospects 365 uh he was the one i forgot that he's gonna hate me for that we had a great time um but yeah um I'm always envious of you getting to the Cape Cod. I mean, uh, you know, I people are envious of me during the springtime because usually Georgia is a very easy place to go see prep guys. Um, yeah. You know, just this year we had, what, four or five guys drafted in the first round. Um, I mean, you could even include Cam Collier into that as well because – yeah. um collier was and, and you probably got to see him in the in the cape cod league this year right yeah um but like people are envious of this you get to go to the cape cod you're close enough you get to spend a lot of time now that you are full-time baseball you're probably spending even more time there at least at least it seems like it at least you're not having to you know <laughs> wait to do this or 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 write these guys up at 2 a.m in the morning or however you did it because i i don't know how you did all all that content that you pulled uh and also worked all the time but um i wanted to bring the cape cod league looks here um and just to kind of uh let our audience know this is not something we've never we've ever done before we've done some draft stuff but I really feel like this is a good way to get a primer for who's going to be in the draft next year. Okay. So 
I'm going to ask Jeff a few questions. Uh, the first one's really kind of a softball question, and that is how uh, – talk about the atmosphere of the Cape Cod League. Yeah. Um, it's very different from other things. And, I, and I've been lucky enough that I live out here in Massachusetts, and you know, I, I grew up about 15 miles from the bridge, the canal to get into Cape Cod. So like I grew up in that area. Um, I'm very much like a local <laughs> to a degree. So, um, you know, I know my way around and uh, it kind of became an obsession for me in, in 2018. Um, I had gone to games throughout my life, but it was really more something you did like at night before you went and like got beers or something in college and you were like out there for a weekend on the Cape, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, or something I went to as a kid, you know, like I saw Frank Thomas in Orleans, like in the eighties, you know, when I was a little, little kid, you know, um, I only remember because we have like a picture of it. Like <laughs> That's the only reason I recall, you know? Um, and it's, it's different from other places because you're playing a high school field. So you're not, you're not playing in like minor league parks or like even a high end, like mid major park. You're playing in high school baseball fields or baseball fields at elementary schools or downtown in a city or a town, um, you know, that aren't even nice high school fields. Like, I'm sure the high school fields that guys are playing on in Texas and Arizona and California and Georgia, um, you know, parts of Pennsylvania or just like really expensive prep schools up here. The fields are much nicer than they are on the Cape. The Cape is like dead grass. It's very different. So in that sense, I think that's one thing that you need to sort of understand. Second, um, the games are free. So you don't pay a dollar walking in. Um, they, they take donations. It's suggested that you drop a couple bucks in the bucket, which, you know, if you're, you're walking in with a, a family of five and, you know, you even give them $10, like you're making out like a bandit in comparison to even go to a minor league game. Um, concessions are really cheap. Uh, concessions tend to be very localized and, um, like run by a local caterer or like a mom and pop shop or the team itself. And, you know, a lot of these different teams have like specific items that like, if you were there as a fan and going to eat, I don't get the pleasure to do this very often, but like if I go to Harwich, they have like root beer floats that are like these unbelievable homemade ice cream that are like root beer floats and they make homemade chocolate chip cookies. And then like uh, the big thing for a while on Yarmouth Dennis was they had like a, um, uh, a donut burger. They have like a name for it. I forget, but like a donut burger. <laughs> and then, um, you know, like the big thing, it, this is funny, but like they, they have like this sort of like old school popcorn maker in Wareham. And the, the popcorn is like the best popcorn you've ever had. It's like unbelievable. And um and then like Katuit, they make everything, like they cook everything in a grill in front of you. Like it's, you know, and it's like, you know, you pay $4 for a hamburger and $3 for a hot dog and a dollar for a drink. And like, you know, you don't leave there like shaking your pocket. So it's a little different in that sense. Um, it's all run by volunteers in terms of the teams. Uh, a lot of them are, you know, local families that live out there. They host the players. So the players actually come and stay with these families in their homes, have a room there. They eat meals there, you know, they, you know, whatever. 
Um, so, you know, I think that's probably, that, that's the core of the Cape Cod League is these, these host families that year after year that open up their homes to these, you know, top collegiate athletes to come out here, stay here for eight weeks and, and, and work through it. And, um, you know, they build tremendous relationships with the players. And I think that's a, a really cool element of it. And I think it's another thing that makes it very much like mom and pop, like Americana that it, it you don't get that with other leagues. Like you don't get that, um, you know, with some of these summer ball leagues uh, throughout the country that travel a hundred plus miles to play a game, you know, you're talking about a very small circumference. Everything is within 40 minutes from the furthest to the, you know, uh, to the, you know, from one point to the other. Some of them are, you know, 10 minutes down the road, five minutes down the road from each other. Um, all beach communities and, and the Cape is different from like going to the Jersey shore where you can't build, right on the water so there's like sort of this natural protected element to it kind of makes it old new englandy um so you know it's interesting in the sense that it's all volunteers the games are free there's no alcohol at the games so it's very like family friendly kid friendly um but you're seeing legit all-star teams like yeah i can remember 2018 when i really the moment that really it all clicked for me and i got really into this was i went out to the opening game, I think it was in Wareham, Wareham and Chatham. And, you know, I walk out to the field. This is pre-Team USA, Team USA. So Andrew Vaughn is the first baseman for Wareham. And shortstop is Bryson Stott. And, um, you know, they had Bryant Packard in the outfield. And they had um, uh, Austin Shenton at second base. And um trying to think they had a catcher as well that was pretty good. And... You know, a couple of pitchers that were guys that were drafted pitched that day for them. Uh, and there's another outfielder that I'm like drawing a blank on that was another drafted guy. And then on the other side, I have a freshman, Spencer Torkelson, fresh off a historic season, you know, freshman season at Arizona State. So he's still two years out from his draft year. And Greg Jones is on that team. Alec Manoa got the start for Chatham. And this is when Manoa, this was Manoa's first, this was, this was the beginning of Alec Manoa. Like I was, I was there when the gospel was written, as they like to say. So like, <laughs> this is when Manoa like took the jump from like, you know, big reliever at, you know, West Virginia that didn't throw strikes to like a guy. Like he, this was his transformation was that summer. And then he showed up to West Virginia the next year and just shoved. And yeah, like, I saw one of those starts at West Virginia. It was very impressive. He threw harder then than he throws now. Like he yeah. was sitting 95, 96 with that slot and like, you know, he's sloppier than he is now too. So it was like, you know, it was just arms and legs and belly moving all over the place. And he was nasty and loud. And um, that game for me though, was like, I saw how, how many guys that were in the major leagues three years later. Yeah. You know, um, I saw all-stars in that game. <laughs> I saw a guy that was in an all-star game three or four years from that game. Um, and that's not to say that some of these other peripheral guys on that, on those teams won't make it, you know? Um, but year after year, that's why I keep going back because I, I can see and get a foundational understanding of a really wide base of college talent for two draft classes. And some guys, I can see a guy one summer, he's not draft eligible. He'll come back the next summer. I can see him again. If he's an ACC team and he comes up to BC, I could see him in the spring. And then once he gets drafted, there's a chance that I could then see him 
the following spring, or I could see him, you know, an A ball if I if I shoot out to Hudson Valley, you know, um, and he's in an aggressive organization. So it's like I can get like this this really like check in sort of on certain players. And yeah. I think that's so valuable because it gives me a baseline understanding of having seen them and I can see them play throughout a summer five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. I get a really good understanding of like who they just are as like a uh, an athlete, how they move, how they interact with their teammates, how you know the things they need to work on. Um, and then seeing it four or five months later, you can see, aha, this clicked. Ah, uh, that's backed up. You know, and and I feel like it's a really good sort of like start off point where I can just really build my evaluations off of that and get some history with it because um, you know, what I'm doing from year to year is really looking at improvement from when someone enters a professional system to when they graduate to the majors. And at that point, like I'm not really covering them any longer, you know? So if I can get a head start by a year or two, I already have, like, I can see more progression and it gives me, you know, more certainty, at least not that you can ever be totally certain, but a lot more certainty and, and, you know, um, confidence just in, in terms of what I'm, what I'm writing and what I'm seeing, you know, um, cause you gotta, even though, it. even, even though you're just like one, you know, you're one guy and, you know, now you have, uh, you know, baseball America has a amateur department, just like prospect live. I mean, you've had that kind of going there too. Uh, but like what you're explaining to me, essentially, you know, talking to the scouts that I that you're around here in Georgia and stuff and hearing their um, I, I like to call it a story. It's a story that's it's telling a story about a player that they can go all the way back. Some some teams have underclass scouts. So like there's yeah. some guys being scouted junior sophomore year in high school. even. OK, so you've got this whole story from beginning to whatever point that scout is uh if it's in the draft or if it's in a you know pro league or something like that you've got this story about this guy and the good organizations really to me enhance that sort of look at things so for your for your you know for what you do is you know which is different than what you know organization does you're covering guys for the media and you're covering them uh you know over a five-year period seemingly okay mm-hmm. and and you start out with you know a guy who's a you know sophomore year away from being you know draft eligible and then you get to follow him to the major leagues like I, I can't think of anything more rewarding as an evaluator, um, especially like you know you mentioned in the complex league seeing uh, Mason Wynn's swing change and being there for that and knowing where he was last year, mm-hmm. uh, you know those sort of things. Seeing that story, it helps build a your bank book. Uh, um, it, it helps also grow your confidence, as you say, but it also um, I, I know for myself, it also verifies when I see it in another guy and go, okay, this is the same adjustment Mason Wynn made. 
for instance. You know, it, it makes everything for me so much easier when I've had that long look. And I've been afforded the same thing, but through the amateur looks here in, in Georgia, you know, I'll have seen, I saw Dylan Cup last year. I'll I'll be able to build on that for, you know, years and years to come because he happened to be playing at a game that I was watching somebody else at, you know? Mm. So you have that whole, you have that whole story that you can, you know, you can build on. So, yep. um, I mean, it's awesome. I, I'm going to get into some players here. Um, and I'm going to just ask you, um, and, and my, our listeners know that I, because of the contract that I sign every year, I can't really talk about amateur guys. I could throw out a name out there, whatever kind sure. of thing, but that's about it. So um, I'm going to just ask you, who are some of the arms that impressed you? um in the cape this year yeah um i think that you know there's one guy that sort of stands out above the rest um and he got shut down fairly early like right after the transfer window closed uh lsu shut down like all their guys whether they were um returning or guys that were incoming from the portal um like christian little got shut down after he committed and he was out here for a little bit but grant taylor um from uh, uh brewster from LSU. He's a right-hander. I mean, dude, this guy had a, a, a true, like, basket of pitches, you know. Um, he had a, a fastball, four-seam fastball that sat 94 to 95 with you know, 17, 18 inches of um, induced vertical break, getting a ton of ride, getting like 10 to 11 inches of run on it too. So he's got that heavy bore action. Um, and he commanded it. Like I saw him for six innings in the toughest, um, hitters park in the entire league. Yarmouth Dennis is a visitor. This is his last start. Went six innings. I think it was under 80 pitches and he didn't walk a single batter. I think he set the the strikeout record for the Cape this summer in that game. He struck out 12, 12 or 13. Um, and then he's mixing in all these secondaries. He's got this hammer curveball, 77 to 78. And it's tough to make that work, man. But it had 20 inches of drop. I'm watching it come in off of the trackman. So the trackman is is right next to me. And, um, you know, I, I know the kid you know, from, um, actually from Twitter, he's somebody that I knew from an analytics department with the school. He's working the track when that day to step in. So, you know, where the park is, we're behind home plate. You're up in these stands and, you know, trackman's here. My camera's way up there on the fence, you know, clipped up. And so I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm doing velocity. So I don't, if the trackman's next to me, I don't have to pull up the gun. So I love that because it saves me battery power for the next game. I don't even have to charge it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Right. So I'm sitting there and we're getting everything off. And I'm like, this guy, it wasn't like just 120, Chris. It was like he hit like seven in a row. It was the <laughs> cre- it was the most depth I had ever seen in a curveball. And it was wild because it didn't have a hump. Like it was coming in. And then all of a sudden, about, you know, we'll say three feet from the from the plate, it just dropped, you know. And um that was a wild, wild pitch. And he was mixing in a slider. Um, they had more sweep, but it but it had some tilt, it had some depth to it. So you know, it wasn't um, a slider that was you know entirely split dependent. Like some of these sweepers, I think people forget you could really only throw that in same handed matchups. Like you know, unless you can backdoor a sweeper to like a lefty if you're a righty, 
it's really hard to throw that pitch across the plate because you're throwing it right into his barrel. And if he's a guy with a short swing that hits stuff in the inner part of the plate, you're giving him 81, 82 in the inner half. Good luck. You know, yeah, where it's, it's, as we like to say, but bombing. Yeah. I mean, he had some tilt on it. It was really nice. He threw a cutter. He had a change up and he, he started mixing in the splitter too. Um, we had the, the, so there's a scout liaison for every team out here that kind of, you know, interacts with the scouts, gives them information on players, whatever. And the guy's like, yeah, Taylor's got like six or seven pitches. Like he just started throwing a splitter the other day. And he's, he started throwing it last game. Um, so this guy had six pitches. He was mixing and had feel for spin. I mean, it was high spin rates. Um, was getting efficient movement on the fastball. Knew how to kill lift in the changeup, and threw a legit cutter. It was like this guy can kind of manipulate a bunch of different shapes, and you know I assume the splitter was because he wanted to be able to throw the changeup faster and with more movement. So yeah, he's a he's an arm to me that I came in knowing was an LSU guy. He had like thirty innings. He was pretty good, and like he blew me away. I, I want to yeah. say it was one of the best Cape starts I've watched since Logan Allen in twenty nineteen. I saw oh, wow. Allen. You know, left-handed, small Logan Allen, still with Cleveland. I saw him come out pre-Team USA against the Harwich lineup that had – Harwich, excuse me. For Harwich against the Hyannis lineup that had a few guys. You know, Hunter Goodman might have been, might have been in it. Um, and he struck out like 10 in like five innings. And I, I think he maybe walked a batter. I don't know if he allowed a hit. And he was sitting 86 to 88. The whole game, like the fastball was 86 to 88. <laughs> and he was just absolutely crushing guys with a fastball, the changeup, the curveball. He was mixing in sliders. And it's like you almost throw the velocity out the window at that point because he's just dominating. You're like, all right, this is this is legit. I mean, obviously, you know, Allen's added a few ticks since then. Um, yeah, yeah. But Taylor had the velocity. You know, Taylor had the velocity, the deep arsenal. He had the command of it. I mean, to throw six innings in the Cape start and and not walk anyone is impossible because these are like blind umpires from beer leagues that they have out here they have the worst umpires <laughs> i mean it is so bad chris like blown calls every game you know there are times where like we would look at the track and the ball's coming in and it's like all right that's a strike and not a ball what and then that's a ball that's a strike it's like you know really really inconsistent umpire like, you can't even imagine you know, these guys talk about MLB guys that are bad that have like 96% like accuracy rates. These guys were like 75 and lucky. Like it was, it was bad, but um, he didn't even question. Like it was the kind of thing where like he was getting so many swings, foul, foul offs, you know, high in the zone and stealing strikes that were like just over the corner. Like it was like, you couldn't not call some of these pitches strikes. He wasn't getting too many sneakers. So, Bryce Warrecker um, from Cal Poly, big 6'8 right-hander, typical California pitcher. You know, he's sitting 90 to 92. There was a lot all of right, All right, all let's, right. Let's pause you here for a second. Yeah. Typical California pitcher. I know we've discussed this. We've we've had this discussion. Yeah. Um, I think this would be a good thing for listeners. What is a California pitcher? So, like, these West Coast guys, soft tossing command guys from West coast conferences. It's not just the pac 12 either. It's like, it could be the whack, like whatever yeah. I mean, they all have. Yep. And some, I honestly think these guys are good prospects because a lot of them 
have the pitchability side of things. They have the feel side of things on a lot of their stuff. And then it's a matter of like getting into a good organization, getting on a velocity program and adding a few chicks and getting them up. Shane Bieber was kind of one of these guys, right? Um, Tanner Bybee was kind of one of these guys. So there's, a, I mean, you know, there's, there's some legitimate upside to a lot of those particular players, but when you see them, it's just, it's like, it's 1992. They put you to sleep. A lot of change-ups. Good breaking balls if they have that. Warwicker actually happens as a really good sweeper, so that's that's a big part of his game. And I remember somebody saying, like, you know, it's like by the sixth inning, they just lull you to sleep, and then you look down at the line, you're like, this guy's only given up one hit, huh? You know, he's had five Ks, too, huh? And, like, you don't realize it because it's not super loud. Like, you see these SEC arms that come in. They're pumping 93 to 96 with ride and movement and, like, you know, a big hammer and like, you know, whatever they're getting pumped up as they're striking guys out. And these guys just always like quiet kind of just to go about their work. They're just clinical surgical, mm-hmm. you know, hit their spots and get it done. And I mean, like Warwicker, I think almost unanimously won our best control command in the Cape on the scout book. Like it, I don't, yeah. I don't think there was anybody else. Was close. And, and just to throw this out, this also includes high school guys as well for this, uh, this, definition of the California pitcher. Yes. Uh, I, Max Freed was a guy I saw prior to uh, his Tommy John when he was with the Padres and stuff. And uh, I remember sitting there with the scout. The scout is not very impressive, huh? Just just jokingly, you know, joking with me. You know, this is a first-round guy, you know. And by that sixth inning, he said the same thing. It's not been that impressive. And Freed has absolutely dominated six innings uh and at that point in time he was throwing 89 to 91 and it was all about command uh he's since now a different pitcher but like that was that was the whole lesson i learned from the scout that day like okay this stuff wasn't wasn't the most powerful stuff yes the the hammer was awesome Okay, the hammer was awesome, but really and truly, the fastball was all about getting spots back then, and that's how he pitched. And that—that's—I uh, remember when he came back from Tommy John in the Braves organization, you know, being a little more cautious with him, just because I knew a I had seen the command before, and it didn't come back for like two years, to be honest. And then once it came back, it was an explosion. He added velocity. And, you know, he's the pitcher he is today. Um, but like that whole lull asleep and and the scout that day said, you know, uh, his lesson was learned by Barry Zito watching Barry Zito um, back in when he was in. Um, I think it was in a ball. He told me he's like he just lulled you to sleep there. The, yes, the curveball was impressive, but nothing else really was. It was just all command. And, um, you know, he's like, I've tried to tell that lesson to our scouts all the time that like you know these guys are boring profiles but they're the profiles that make it yep yeah exactly all right well you gave me two pitchers how about two hitters that really impressed during the um, cape cod league cape cod league yeah this is a little tougher there's a handful of guys that were really good matt shaw from maryland mvp of the league uh the number one guy in our list um you know, led the league in batting average, he won the batting title, hit for power, he's got speed, not a shortstop, um, probably a second baseman long-term. I think he's more of a comp round, sort of early second round guy, but he had a great summer. Um, 
you know, a guy with a ton of bat speed, good bat to ball, tracks well, plate approach is good. He's really fast on the base. He's a good base runner. Um, I think he was second or third, third in the league in steals. Um, he's really exciting, you know, uh, just, just from a, the quality of contact standpoint. Um, excited to see, you know, what he does this year. He's had two good years. He's a local guy from Massachusetts, not too far down the road from me. Um, so will be interesting to see what happens with Shaw. I would suspect he's a day one guy next year. Um, has a great year. I mean, I guess it's possible he could push himself into the top half of the first round. But I think it's, you know, more comp round, maybe the back end of the first, early second type of a bat for me. Um, but, you know, good bat. Um, other guy was a real standout, um, Tommy Troy from Stanford. He was good here last summer. I really like Tommy Troy. Um, I, I tend to like players like this. It's a short, compact, powerful swing with a ton of bat speed. Um, kind of has a compact, strong build, um, almost like Dan Ugla, kind of. Um, played a lot of short this summer. He's going to play short at Stanford next year with Crampton leaving. Um, but he's uh, he's solid defensively. Like It's not like Nick Gonzalez where we all knew he wasn't a shortstop and probably wasn't a great second baseman. Um, I think Troy can be a really good second baseman. I don't think there's much question about that. Better arm, better twitch, just moves better. Um, I think he's more raw power than Nick Gonzalez had. Uh, hits for average. Um, struggles a little bit with some of the secondaries, like spin, but he's very um, uh, patient with it and sort of, you know, doesn't swing. I guess swing rates on sliders and curveballs are pretty low. He destroys fastballs and changeups. The numbers against those <laughs> are crazy. But he's not one of these guys that completely, like, goes in the pocket against breaking stuff either. He will swing on it. He will make some some contact. I think some adjustments with the, with the load and stuff that need to be made. But I think overall, like, for me, Tommy Troy is probably – Probably the best pro prospect we saw this summer for 2023, at least, because Brady Montgomery was here for the second half of the year, and that's 24. And, you know, who knows yeah. if he's even a position guy. He's really good, though. Um, other guy I think that deserves some recognition is two. Mitch Jeb from Michigan State, um, 70 runner, a lot of twitch, unbelievable athlete, not a lot of power right now. It's very much a contact-focused swing, but he hits the – he hits man, he hits the gaps, and he – blows i mean he flies dude like it he just absolutely flies in the base pass and um puts pressure in the defense not only taking extra bases when the ball's in play but also when he's on base in terms of you know take taking the extra base um pushing for steals you make any errors when he's in the on the bases good luck i mean he's probably gonna get home um and he showed a little power late i mean it's you know it's very linear bat path um Kind of has to ambush a high fastball uh, to hit for power, but bat speed and athleticism is there. He's just probably six one, but fairly slight. Like he needs to add some strength. So I don't want to write off the power coming for Jeb, um, simply because he has all the elements. Just I think it's just a strength and sort of leverage element of it uh, or part of it. Last guy I'll mention here is Cole Carrig from San Diego State. Um, Carrig, the numbers were good contact wise. He put. Started to hit for some power a little bit later. Uh, I think Juice is there. It's a great body. Um, looks a lot like Joey Weimer. Um, better swing than Weimer at this point. Much better swing than Weimer at this point. Better athlete than Weimer. Um, plays all nine positions. So oh, wow. he played mostly shortstop and outfield. Center and shortstop. He 
got votes from scouts that saw him in the outfield for best outfield arm in the Cape. Uh, I think most of those guys didn't see Brady Montgomery, but that's fine. Still, it was a good arm. Uh, he also got some votes. Guys saw him at shortstop for best infield arm. And mm-hmm. I had an area guy from Southern California that has him say he's the best catcher on San Diego State. And this other catcher who was actually down out here this summer called Poncho Ruiz. It's a good bat. Can't play anywhere else in the field. So they 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 let they catch Poncho because Poncho can hit and they can play Carrick anywhere. Not kidding. Carrick has played third base, shortstop, second base, first base, all three outfield positions. He's caught and he threw six innings this summer. Um, and I think he was their best reliever based on the numbers. Like I don't I think he had six scoreless innings and struck out like eight and walked two. Um, oh, wow. and he was up to like four or five with ride. Like this is a guy that like is like you could put him anywhere and he's gonna probably be in the major leagues like he he could be a major league reliever he could be a major league catcher he could be a a fielder shortstop and he's got like athleticism bat to ball skills approach and i think there's power coming like he's six three and like built like a wide receiver and he moves yeah if you're if you're throwing a weimer comp i mean that's i mean he's a he's a he's a he's a much more fluid mover than than weimer that's good it's not even close. I mean, like his swing is pretty. I have a couple. I have some videos up of him, but he has the long blonde flow. He's tall, broad, like broad shoulders. So he's got that Weimer thing going, you know. Um, but yeah, he. I had to mention him just because, like, Chris, he plays nine different positions. Like he yeah. can do everything on a baseball field well. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I can't even imagine. Like it, to me, that guy maybe should go in the first round just because it's like there's like. Very high certainty this guy's going to be a major leaguer. If we get him right player organization, we can get him to add power. We can get him to do this and that. Like, there's a lot of different profiles this guy could potentially make it as. So he's a really interesting player in this day of, uh, you know, optimizing the roster and flexibility. And he's a pitch, he's a, a position player that could pitch and come in and throw some some gas. You know. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Um, that's a guy that should be in the first round just as uh you know especially like a risk adverse team that really needs a guy uh needs a win right that needs that there's some teams that need wins in the first round um uh and that would be a win um let's kind of move on to something let's move away from the cape uh and just to finish that up uh uh, if you subscribe to Baseball America um uh, by the time this airs next Tuesday uh Jeff would have published his whole Cape Cod list uh, on the website. Uh, will your tools be there too? Will the tools yeah, list that's be there too? Yeah, the, that's in the, the the one through sixteen. Okay. Um, yeah, all the tools will be listed there, and okay. it's in the, and this is all in the top tens in the magazine too. So. Oh wow, that's 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 pretty good. So uh, check that out at Baseball America uh, after you listen to this podcast because it's it's well worth it. Um, we're gonna switch gears. Uh, Jeff and I had a conversation last week. It it, it started out with Michael uh, Harris with the Braves. Uh, Michael Harris is a guy that I got to see a lot uh, just because Rome and uh, uh, Mississippi were are in my coverage area. I get to see uh, get to see them a lot. And actually, uh, Jeff, I got to see Michael Harris as a pitcher in high school, Ooh. and. It was it was it was good good stuff. Uh, low nineties, um, uh, very good uh, riding action. Well, not riding action. I should say um, very good um, arm side bore on a fastball. 
Uh, like there was something there, and I know that there were some teams that kind of saw him as a pitcher, not so, so much as a hitter. I watched this maturation of a guy basically learn a swing and then learn an approach after that. Like th- it was an amazing thing to see Michael Harris. And uh, Jeff and I were talking about Harris because, of course, he had signed that huge uh, contract extension the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it would be th- two weeks from uh, when we're having this conversation. So um, we talked about process guys, um, guys that are, uh, you know, have a sort of makeup about them. And you explained it very well in this text um, that that we exchanged, um, basically defining process, guys. Uh, Would you like to take that lead and run with it? Yeah. So I actually have an article coming out early next week that has like 50 of these guys. (laughs) Kyle Manzardo is one of these guys. Oh, yeah. Is is when I pull, I pull all, you know, when I have data pulls. So, you know, I get numbers. And, you know, not public stuff like StatCast stuff that gets sent to me. And, I, you know, I, I also have the averages for the minor leagues that are sent to me. Because um, you can do it by level, but it's so hard with the like age gap or whatever. I just kind of go by the minor league averages because it eliminates enough players that it's like, all right, you get down to like 70 guys. It's like out of 3,000, like obviously, like, you know, not many guys have averages across the board. So... I'll put in, like I said, you know, that what the what the actual minor league average is or above um, for a filter. And I'll put in what the minor league average is or above for filter on chase and contact and you know um 90th percentile exit velocity. I like that more than max. You're, when yeah, you're not, I do too. And when you're dealing with data like this, you also need to know how to navigate around it because like a lot of you get some some screwy max exit velocities in the minors sometimes and like even if you clean it it's like all the other data is clean so like they don't know what to turn that into you're just there as like an outlier right so 90 percent that eliminates that um so i'm able to look at the top 10 percent of someone's batted balls which i think gives me a more robust sample of what the high end of their power looks like something they're going to get to more consistently too um, more so than, you know, an average, which is the median, which, you know, how that they get to that median really matters more than the median itself. Meaning like, you know, they could have some low ends and, or like a bunch of like, like Manzardo's like high end, like max is like 107, but Manzardo has all these like 90 to 98s, it's a ton of them. Yep. And other guys maybe have like 110s and 112s and a bunch of 100s, but they also have a bunch of 75s. So they may have the same, you know, uh, average exit velocity, medium, but how they get to that median is, is very different. So that's why I like to look at the 90th percentile because it gives me a good sample. Like, all right, what's their their true power? What's it within a certain range? So I do that with that. I do that with zone miss as well. And then I typically like to have some production element of it to, as a separator. So I'll look at, you know, I think this year the average WOBA is 322 in the minor. So I'll, I'll look at WOBA, I'll set it to 322 and above. And that usually gives me like a good sample of like, all right, these are the guys that have contact, they have good swing decisions, um, or at least average swing decisions, and they have power, or at least average power or better. And usually these guys have two above average, maybe two plus skills, maybe more, and then one sort of average skill, you know. Um, 
And there's the rare guys that have above average skills across the board, like a, a Colton Cowser or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gunnar Henderson was like that. Um, the context gone down a little bit this year. I think he's 28% contact a whiff right now. So a um, little bit below what he had been when he was like you know, 24, 25 last year. But, you know, jumping levels, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, jumping levels. Him, I mean, they've been very aggressive with them, and he yeah, answered I, the call. I think you just see it. And I also see that, like, this seems to be the type of player that the Orioles chase because I end up with all the Orioles' top prospects on these lists. So, mm-hmm. Hauser, Mayo always shows. This is one of the ways that I found Mayo last year. Um, yeah. You know, Westberg shows up on these lists all the time because he's a, a very similar, like, you know, well-rounded hitter. Gunnar Henderson, some guys like that. So, and I'm sure, you know, we'll see some more from these this last draft class, <laughs> frankly. You know, it's going to be like Jackson Holiday and and Judd Fabian and Carter Young in two years or something. Mm-hmm. They're going to fix all these guys that were broken in college. It's unbelievable. But <laughs> um, so, like, I, that's my process with hitters. I think it works because I think in order to be successful at the major league level, you really need to have of that well-rounded skill set as a hitter to have a long sustainable career or you need to have like 270 tools like you got to have 70 power and 70 run and even that's tough or you got to be you know a 70 on base percentage guy with 40 contact and a 70 70 raw like those are the guys that make it have long careers and it's not this up and down struggle you know um and i i also think it means that like the the landing is a little softer. And what I, what I, what I mean when I say that is that not everyone's Juan Soto, right? Right. Jr. Wasn't Juan Soto. Mike Trout wasn't Juan Soto. And there's a lot of lesser prospects that were not successful in their first stint that were good major leaguers. And it's a lot easier to be a good major leaguer or get an opportunity to work through those struggles. If you take good at bats, Yes. You don't swing at bad pitches. You have productive outs. So maybe the ball's not dropping, but you're hitting a ball hard into the outfield, moving a runner along. Um, It's not stuff that's sexy to talk about, but when it comes to a coach making a decision or a general manager making a decision between one guy or another, who, who's giving me the potential production? Does, you know, are they good base runner? Are they good defensively? They have a defensive position, right? I mean, I love Spencer Horowitz. He's a really good hitter in the minor leagues, but Horowitz is a first baseman. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if it's going to, he's going to have to probably have to go to the athletics to get full, full playing time. Cause being a first baseman <laughs> in the major leagues, you have to be one of the top hundred hitters in the majors. More yeah. or less. Like, you know, yeah. like that's a very offensive heavy position, right? There's no Dugman Cabbages any longer that are, you know, punch and Judy guys that are strong defensive first baseman any longer, you know? Um, so, you know, I really think that like you need to have that well-rounded skill set as a hitter because you get that opportunity. You can make the most of it because you get on base, you make some contact, you hit for power. Derek Hall is kind of one of those guys and, and Hall's not a guy that was super sexy. He's 27. He's been a pretty good player for Philly down the he has been, you know? Um, and I think it's because he had contact, he had power, he had swing decisions. So, when you have that combination of skills right there, impact swing decisions, bat to ball, you're gonna, you're, it's gonna play. I just think it's gonna play. You may not be a superstar. There might be some stuff in there where you should be maybe a little bit more aggressive, but um, 
there's no like glaring hole in your game or flaw that really sort of pushes you to the side. And um, I think that's what people miss a lot with prospects is, you know, that there's, there's, there needs to be a a balance and a combination, you know, it it can't just, and it can't just be slash line numbers either. Cause sometimes those numbers are deceiving based on ballparks, based on the calls that a guy is getting. Um, Guys get more, guys get more, more called, um, less called strikes as they move up. You know, the strike zones get smaller and the umpires get better. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I just think that that all those little things and all that stuff as you move up ticks down a little bit, right? And this jump from triple A to the majors, guys that strike out 20% of the time in triple A all of a sudden are, are 28% strikeout guys in the majors for 300 bats, you know? Um, so I think, you know, it lessens the blow when you have all those skills because you can impact in it back in a variety of ways you can put the ball in play you can do you can you know hit for impact and change a game with a swing or you can just take eight pitches and grind a guy out and that has value you know yeah i've had six looks at manzarda this year i've had uh about 10 looks at von grissom before the call up this year and i will say like what has was impressive about them like for instance for grissom grissom was a guy that like I never truly saw a scolded ball, but everything was hit hard. Okay. I actually, you know, which is funny, like uh, the other night I was watching a Braves game because I live in Braves country. um, And like I saw him hit two balls harder than I had seen him. And that's 10 looks this year, five looks last year, 15 looks in high A. And I did not see him hit that hard. But see, the thing is, it was always consistent and he rarely chased. I mean, the eyes, I mean, he rarely chased and he rarely struck out. The swing and miss just wasn't there. Uh, And then watching Manzardo, I've watched him over the season. I had two separate looks. I had high A look early, double A look late and was able to see even like a maturation almost where it was like, okay. I was too patient earlier in the season and I was letting too many fastballs go by. And here we are first pitch fastball. He rips it into the gap, uh, which earlier this year he would have taken for a strike and would have never gotten to it. Uh, you know, there's certain, there's a certain breed here with these hitters. And I know that you've always been a pretty big, big on Menzardo. Actually, I learned about Menzardo through you actually, um a couple years ago so like i i do like it, it's great like manzardo has been my favorite guy i've watched all year and like i, I just on the whole process part of things and mm. and seeing the maturation and i i'm you know i started out this year being skeptical whether he had enough yeah. bat and now i i'm fully in on it because i believe that a the guy the kid is making the right decisions and also you can start seeing uh, different angles off the bat now that weren't necessarily even there during the uh, spring. He has one of the, so like one of the, the metrics I look at, um, <laughs> it's not as precise as barrel rate is, but you know, the numbers are working a little different. So I look at the percentage of balls that were hit 95 plus miles per hour between 10 to 30 degrees launch angle. So that's a barrel. Right. Yeah. Um, he has a twenty-three percent rate on 
balls in play that are hit at that mile per hour or harder in that launch angle variance. And he's got one of the best in, in like the minors. Um, his, his, the thing that separates him isn't just the approach and the bats of ball skills. It's his ability to impact the baseball at like an optimal attack angle, right? Like he get, he gets on the ball as well as anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, this is some of the things that we'll learn about in the coming years, I think. But, um, I almost feel like he's a guy that maybe like just gets super efficient ball carry too, like. Whatever it is about how level or how square he he barrels up, the ball just travels further than it should. Um, and I think he's you know he's not like a, a super heavy backspin guy, like he backspins stuff. But like I just wonder if it's one of these guys where it's like a lower spin rate of backspin, right? Um, and this is the stuff like as we get in the weeds, we haven't fully figured out yet. But I do think there's some element there with him um, that's very similar, like Joey Votto or like Jose Altuve, where like they just get that optimal angle so consistently in the mm -hmm. zone. And it just allows them to get the most out of their swing each time with impact. And um, that's rare. You know, I think that's the thing. Beyond all the numbers, the slash line, all the other stuff, if you watch him hit, you see this, and it translates to some of the underlying data that's not necessarily public. And it's like, all right, this guy just has special barrel control, you know, and, and, and barrel accuracy. Like, it's just, it's, it's uncanny. Yeah, the uh, scout I was sitting with um, in this game was was there to see the other team, and he was he just he looked at this. He's like uh, he he looked him up. I think he looked him up on Baseball America, um, and this was early in the year uh, when he wasn't. I don't know if he was on your top fifth, top thirty uh, to start the year or something. But um, you know, I was like, yeah, this guy is. It's a it's been a maturation already, and, and the guy's like. I'm telling my Rays, you know, the guy that's covering the Rays in our organization, like, need to hurry up and see this guy because, like, there's something special happening right now in front of our eyes. And that was a four-game look. Like, I, I had a four-game look that time, uh, consecutive nights. He played three of those nights. And you, you just the adjustments he had made from game to game, like, they were even noticeable. Um, he realized that, Rome was going to pitch him a certain way, uh, the, the Braves affiliate. Rome, Rome has a lot of pitchers. I mean, most of them are, uh, you know, over-the-top, uh, high, uh, high fastball-type guys. And uh, they were working him right there. That's where his swing angle went and uh, when, or his uh, uh, swing path went. And he just, he just damaged the ball. That's, that's all I can say. It's like he just damages the ball all the time. Is consistent hard contact. Um, so, kind of finishing up our conversation today, I wanted to kind of go over something that I get asked often, and I think that uh, a lot of people don't realize this about both of us. Um, not to toot uh, my own horn or toot your own horn. Um, you know, we we got started in this uh, relatively later in our lives. Okay. Most of the people who uh, uh, do this sort of thing got started in their 20s uh, doing this scouting thing or this writing thing or whatever kind of thing. And um, I think because we are older, 
I was in my 30s, you were in your 30s when this all started. We've been more um, open to trying to help people that maybe others have not always been that way. So I wanted to kind of spend some time um, just to, uh, I get questions all the time um, on Twitter. How do I get started doing this? How do you get started doing this? Yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, so I, um, you know, I had, I had three kids. Um, actually, at the time I had two. So my daughter was born nine years ago now. And um, I was into fantasy baseball and, uh, you know, had read Rasball pretty regularly for about three years at that point. And um, one day just kind of asked about, hey, what would it take to write? And, um, you know, the, the writer whose article it was, his comment section, like, was like, oh, just give me your information. I'll hit you up. And um, they hit me up. They wanted me to write about uh, DraftKings, Daily Fantasy. This is like 2014. And um, I, you know, I did it. And uh, it was, I guess, it was pretty good. And uh, they had me as like the weekend guy on DFS. And so what I started doing is I started like sending out like uh, like organizing big like thirty team contests every night, and be like two dollars to enter, and we would have like you know whatever decent payout at the end. And I did them like every single night um, for maybe three months, and kind of like built up a little bit of a following. Like people were asking about the contest stuff. Yeah. Like that. Um, this is before like DFS really, really blew up. And um, I, I got an opportunity from Gray to do the two start pitching post. And I like went like way off on it and started doing like breakdowns of like the lineups they were facing and like ready versus lefty and like, you know, their pitch mix and how it might play. It's so, like that was really good. And I kind of got me more into applying numbers. Um, to a concept that, that, that sort of provided value to readers and, uh, the prospect, I actually, and then I, excuse me, I started writing about fantasy premier league for like a year and we kicked off a site at Rasball that was like Rasball soccer. And I did that for a year. Um, didn't really like it. Um, and just kind of got, I was, I was writing like 80% of the content and it was just like a, a drag. So I just, I actually quit. I quit. I quit writing for a couple of months and just maybe like a year or so into it. And I was just kind of done. Like I wasn't going to do it. And um, I was still in contact with Gray and some of the guys from Rasball. And they reached out because the prospect guy who I was friendly with um, quit. And they knew I was really into prospects that I had grown up around, you know, minor leagues and followed it somewhat. Played a lot of dynasty leagues. They asked me if I wanted the gig. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd come back for that um agreed to a little bit more pay and um it was crazy like it just took off i i i kind of had a desire really early on to like make really deep lists um do more draft coverage because i felt like that's where a lot of the value was to readers was ranking 50 60 players from a draft class in j2 for all of these first year player drafts so yeah, I started doing that. I think it's just like 2014, 2015. It was one of the first like first year player drafts that rankings that I knew of on the market. Um, that was in depth, and the, like, even the term first year player draft like came from like my, my home dynasty league. Um, 
And I think that's honestly where like I, that was a big jumping off point for me. Cause I think a lot of people read those lists or copied like that particular niche of like fantasy con or like dynasty content of like doing draft guys and right. Like knowing them and like being able to rank them quickly. Um, and I think like that was like my foot in the door with like a lot of like dynasty prospect people have been like knowing me and like being in the conversation. And, you know, I was also doing a, I started a podcast with um, Michael Halper and imaginary brick wall. And he and I like kind of navigated it. Like we were one of the, I think it was us. And then I think James and clay were right around that time. I don't yeah. know who was first. It was like us by a week, then by a week. I can't remember. Um, and we just talked, we would pick 10 prospects each. We would talk about 20 players every show. And it was very wow. like number, very number scouty. Like the MILB TV at this point was very limited. So you got like a lot of AAA and like some AA teams had it. Like almost no A ball teams had it at that point. Um, so it was tough to see players, right? And like, you know, this isn't even that long ago. And um, help left. I started working with Lance Brozdowski, who's now with Marquis. He took over in that, that show. And Lance kind of took me to another level in terms of like, we got really into like going to games together and like scouting and trying to evaluate and then trying to apply. This is right as like data and stat cast was becoming popular. So we're getting information like this from the major league level. And we're still thinking about just raw spin rates. It's not like it is now. It wasn't as evolved. We'll probably say that in three years of the stuff I'm saying now, but <laughs> it was like, it was like, you know, this, this new information and we're just trying to figure out how it applies to everything. And we're watching, like, I can remember like, that's that summer was crazy. That spring was crazy because we had the the Vlad team, which was Bo and Vlad and Harold Ramirez was a good major leaguer now. And uh Biggio was in that team and Lourdes Guriel was in that team. And um uh oh man, there's another there's another major leaguer on that team. It's like not bad that I'm totally drawing a blank on now, but like Whatever. It was just like a loaded, a loaded team that we got to watch every night. Brennan Rogers and Devers was in that summer. And we just got to see, and we all oh, we missed Soto by two weeks coming to Hartford and then he got called up. Uh so like that, that was a that was a huge like awakening for me. I also started doing the Cape that year. And then it was like I, I didn't want to just do fantasy any longer. I, I really wanted to do baseball content. And I think like those of us that do stuff like you and I do, Chris it's the chase like that's what i like like yeah. that rush you know um of chasing these players and chasing the best guys and finding somebody that you're blown away by that you never heard of before that's a great feeling right and um that became my obsession i mean really more than anything else and and fantasy was a good vessel for it and i have Fantasy, when I write fantasy content at this point, it's because I wanted to do it and it's fun. When I did a top 1,000 dynasty ranking, I had two weeks where like I really didn't have any content on deck because we had just finished the 30s and like we do so much work in December and November that comes out in January and February. Yeah, that we do it's too. like I had this 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 down period before I went to Florida for spring training and we also had the lockout. So there was a so I had time to like create like a thought. I'll, I'll never do a thousand again. I'll probably do 500, but like I had time to do that. So like, but that's not what I'm here for. Like I'm here for stuff like the Cape content. I'm here for stuff like all my minor league content, 
all of the data articles I do are some of like the most fun that I do. But like once I got that bug, I had to start Prospects Live. And I I love Gray Albright. Gray is still one of my best friends in the world. I touched down in LA for a futures game and Gray was at my hotel in an hour to take me up to lunch. Like, you know, like it's like I built like this unbelievable relationship with with him and to the point that like I approached him was like, dude, I don't want to just do fantasy any longer. Like I kind of want to branch out and start my own site. And Gray was like the coolest guy about it. He was like, yeah, absolutely. Like, I think you should. And like gave me good advice on like what to do and uh, what to focus on. And, um, you know, I brought in Kenny from uh, RotoWare to create the Prospects Live logo. And I brought in the best scouts that I knew, you know, the best baseball people that I knew that weren't affiliated with another site. And um, it was a learning process uh, just from even personalities. Like, you know, you know Jason Woodell and I had some issues after the first few months and like i'm very good friends with jason now like we talk on the phone and text and you know like so like that's whatever like i got to know panini who's been a huge influence on me and you know, i, I yes. wish i had more time around around jp um and you know lance just just from his technical wherewithal and knowledge of just you know, movement pitch movement things like that um matt thompson you know just Nobody has like, and this is funny because I don't think people realize this, but like, nobody has like an an encyclopedia like knowledge of rosters like Thompson does. No, like, yeah, he knows like, who guys get called up immediately. He knows who's here. He knows, oh, this guy. Oh, oh. Like, it's just like like guys that slip through the, tr- the cracks don't slip through the cracks with him. So it was always good for like our top. 30s or what you know plus uh, when we did more than 30 a couple of years like a couple of new lunatics but it was this this progression of like constantly learning more constantly learning like a new offshoot of information so like learning about college baseball and learning about the draft and then you know how that applies to everything and then you know you learn about uh data and pitch movement and training and you know, now I'm really into sort of the back side, the like the behind the scenes side of thing of like trades and building teams and how teams even get built, like the Cape Cod League, like the stuff like that is really really fascinating to me. Um, and just how teams evaluate and you know athletic testing, yeah. how that applies, and just what the inputs are. You know, or, or trying to. I mean, at this point, I'm trying to mess around and build a stuff plus model. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll if. if it works. Um, I have some smart people helping me, so it should work. But if it works, <laughs> then I'm going to be able to do similar stuff to like what Eno does for major leaguers on minor league pitch data. Like I'm going to be able yeah, to give you a stuff plus awesome. leaderboard on curveballs and sliders and fastballs and you know um, overall stuff mix. So it's just for me, the story has always been like, what's the next thing? Like what? what's the next progression of this? Like I'm always trying to evolve, always trying to keep moving. I want to learn as much as possible. And I think the other thing is like, I'm very open to, I'm very open to people who have an open mind about baseball. Um, Not to say that there aren't smart people who aren't open-minded. There are a lot of very closed minded, very like stuck in their ways. Yeah. Brilliant people about baseball. I do not, I do not enjoy talking with people like that. Um, I want to be able to just bounce ideas back and forth and talk through things. And 
you know, come up with con- talk about the concepts beyond just the players and the people. And, you know, like it's, it's like that, that, that old adage of like, you know, the different types of conversations, like the lowest levels, like talking about mm-hmm. the people and then, you know, talking about yourself or whatever, or talking about the past. And like, I want to be beyond that. I want to be talking about concepts and ideas and um, the application of those to, development or team building or or scouting whatever it is like that's the stuff that really gets me going and and um you know i can i can i can have a conversation like that that is incredibly stimulating and educational with a with a a 20 year old uh and i can have a conversation like that with a 60 year old scout you know a guy that's been 70 year old scout guy has been around the block and been everywhere and signed players since the 80s like you know, if, if it's someone who's open-minded and, and, and loves the game, I think that you, you get that because I'm always, I, I, I'm always open to learning more. Um, but it has to be a give and take in terms of the conversation. We yeah. have to be able to share concepts and, and, you know, not necessarily like negate things fully. Like, what about this? What about that? I didn't think about this. I didn't think about that. Like that sort of, that sort of interaction about a concept when you're, like so, I feel like I'm getting into like this Kanye West sort of like rant mode about you are, <laughs> but it's true. Like I, I feel like that's for me what's been my big separator. It's it's why yeah. I was able to get into this in my 30s and turn it into my career was because um, I'm never satisfied that I know enough or that I know enough about enough things because games constantly evolving players are constantly involved as a moving target all the time. Right. But uh, you know, I, I also think like being able to be in an environment where you can share ideas and, and really, you know, go back and forth on, on players and, and recognize that you can rationally differ on a player and, and be both right in your own way. Like Kyle mm-hmm. Glazer and I disagree on players all the time, you know, all the time. Um, but Kyle's process is different from my process, but it's also very rational and it's rooted in facts and it's rooted in reporting. We just may see the same player different ways. And that happens within the game, right? I mean, right. one GM, you know, what's uh, St. Louis values in a, in a draft prospect is different from what the Dodgers value in a draft prospect and what's good for them. And the Cardinals may not be good for the Dodgers and vice versa, right? It's about finding the right fit. And 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 I think that we too often miss that with, especially in the amateur side of things with players or, you know, even with, with professional prospects. We just, we, we get so caught up in like this one idea that we have versus like the, you know, infinite amount of outcomes that are out there for all these different guys. So um I got off track with my story there a little bit, but I, yeah, I, I, I honestly that, think that like, that's, that's where it went to. Like, it was like, my eyes were opened in a, in a certain time frame, and I went and I created, you know, an outlet for me to be able to do that and pursue it and get better at it. Cause I wasn't good at it <laughs> and, you know, take my lumps and be bad or say things that were wrong. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that's honestly that's the thing that I still love about about prospects live. Like, I I still support those guys. I love those guys. Just had an opportunity to do this as a career. I mean, it's, you know, different kind of a thing. But like, you know, Tyrion dropped an article yesterday on tunneling, and I'm I'm always kind of iffy on the concept of tunneling. But he 
honestly presented the argument in a way that I agree with, that it's really more about the interaction of one pitch with another versus just that straight, like you throw it down a pipe. Yeah, and true. Yeah. It moves a different direction, right? Um, which is tough because it doesn't always come out the same point, you know? So it's uh, that was great. And it's uh, like, I feel like, it's still good that they're giving opportunities to the up and coming guys, the really mm-hmm. smart up and coming guys to do something. Cause you look at a guy like, you know, um, Daniel Plotz, who now works with XL sports and, you know, he's, he's out there, you know, grinding, finding underclassmen like a scout does and making recommendations as to who, you know, their, their advisor should be, should be looking to sign out there in California or, or around the country. Um, mm-hmm. And he worked for a team and he's 22, you know, um, and like I learned a ton from plots and I got an opportunity to work with him. And I think that that's things be open-minded. And just because somebody's younger than you, don't, don't necessarily assume that they know less than you. I think that happens a lot with these younger guys that come in. There's like this attitude of like, you know, someone's got to pay their dues, but you don't know what they're doing. You don't know what they're reading. And, and this younger generation, these guys could have been exposed to pitch at at 13. Yeah, like you've yeah. been exposed to these concepts at 13 when they're playing baseball, you know. And I, I just, I think you see some of these guys come coming up right now that are like unbelievable. Like, and they have like Tyrion's feel too. You know, it reminds me a lot of Connor Kirkon, and Kirkon now is you know with the Astros and um, you know heavily involved with their analytics department, and uh, you know. Connor was always like one of the smartest guys and he was a good scout. Like you go to a game with Connor and Connor could pick out, you know, mm-hmm. a bunch of things. And um, I think that's the thing that sticks out to me about the good analysts is the good analysts are also good scouts because they have a conceptual understanding of baseball that they can then apply the data to. Yeah. Um, and that's a, that's a problem. That doesn't even happen. There's a lot of major league teams that have analysts that don't have baseball feel. So they have, empty empty data like the data looks a certain way but it doesn't necessarily it can't be applied you know to building a roster yeah. because it's not it's not put into the you know the, the proper context i i think one thing that is apparent from this conversation specifically is there's many different paths and uh if you have the desire there's somebody out there that could use your help and and also give you the opportunity. And see, that's what Prospects Live was able to do for so many people. And, you know, we, I, I've, I sent a few people over your direction when they came and asked uh, asked my advice, well, where should I? I'll never forget what Joe Drake said. He's like, oh, what should I do? And he's like, I was like, well, you know, uh, Jeff at Prospects Live, he's like, oh, I already contacted him. I, I, I'm, I'm talking to him next week. And I was like, yeah. Um, but like, that's the thing is there's people out there that are always going to be willing to, uh, I don't want to say accept you, but but be able to, uh, to see that desire and try to help you hone and get to your, uh, your thing. And I, that's one thing I've always appreciated you, uh, about you, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I came in last year, two years ago, not really understanding anything about data. And I still I, I, I feel uh, weaker than I need to be for what I'm doing right now. Uh, but you opened up your your, you know, your mind and helped teach me that. 
And it helps that, and it wasn't necessarily Jeff teaching me. He'd send me to this article or send me to this article. Hey, check this out at Driveline. Check this out at Prospect Live. You know, um, I, I think there was a the, even article you sent me at Prospect Three Sixty Five. Like it was a it was a collection of stuff. And here I am. I'm yeah, able now to understand. Uh, I understand now. You know how the Forcing fastball, you know, looks and operates uh, metrically, as uh, as opposed to just seeing it with my eyes or seeing this flat flat pitch that for years we were like, oh no, this guy throws a flat fastball, that's a bad thing, and now it's a good thing, and now I understand why, uh, both with the data and that kind of thing. And see, that's the thing is, if you don't have that thirst for knowledge, you're never going to grow. Uh, and like I could have easily been left behind. I mean, I still I think I'm, you know, with you mostly transitioning out of fantasy um, other than, you know, occasional things at Baseball America. I think I'm the only guy that's really going to games anymore that are that's doing fantasy baseball as their primary uh, source of things. I, I can't think I of anybody think so, else. Yeah. Um, and, and so like that. And, and that's the whole purpose of this thing, because Brent's the other guy. Uh, we're the only two that are really regularly doing this. So that's the whole niche for this thing. But I want this show to be encouraging uh, for other people um, because, hey, we started late. I was 30. I don't know what your exact age was at the time. Yeah, I was but like, like 32. Yeah, I was 30 when I got involved. And, and mine was just a, a freak thing. I said something on Twitter to a prospect writer and he's like, oh, my God, you, you know, kind of hit what I was saying. I didn't say it in any sort of scouting term or anything. And then the dude just took me under his wing. And, you know, I've got the I had several people take me out under their wing from guys that ended up. Uh, I mean, there's one guy that's, a, um, you know, a assistant director right now and i joke with him too i'm like i you know i just got named director prospect analyst and i'm like yeah i'm a director now i got there before you did you know granted it's baseball yeah. hq and it's not an organization but like that's the thing is like um you know all of these guys and i you know we learn together that's that's the thing that that's what makes some of these most dynamic younger scouts so uh, phenomenal why they're they're climbing through their organizations why they're now becoming decision makers and bosses is because they weren't afraid to learn and that's something that i think younger people have but for us being you know 30 32 when we, when we started i think that that was a big advantage uh to us that we kept an open mind about things and we saw the passion for 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 the game yeah, I think that's a that's a big part of it too. It's just you gotta you gotta love to grind, you know. Um because yeah. it doesn't stop, you know. It's like I it get doesn't. the anxious feeling. I finish something, I'm I'm good for like 10 minutes, and then it's like, all right, I'm gonna start working on this now. <laughs> the month the <laughs> month of July. To. I mean, that's what it the is. The month of July was the one of the biggest lulls in my entire career. Because everybody I saw wasn't that exciting, you know? Yeah. And then 
here's De La Cruz get promoted to Chattanooga. And and what you think about him, however you think about him, at least that guy's damn exciting to go see. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing is you always know if you get into a lull, something's going to get you out of it and it's going to get you out of it quickly. So I have a bad July and I'm like, oh my God, it's so hard to get this content out there because, you know, it's I've not seen anything exciting. And then De La Cruz, and then that same same day that you're going to go see De La Cruz, Menzardo gets called up from from High A, and it's nice. You know, now it's a party. It's a party, and you're yeah. at the ballpark, and don't even know that Joe, Joe Boyle got called up, and even though Joe <laughs> Boyle has no idea where anything's going, it's an exciting guy to watch. Yeah. Six seven yeah, six eight and. And throws, uh, you know, averages what 96, 97 with the fastball. Like, there's there's excitement, um, and and it's funny how you just go through, you know, sometimes uh, sometimes little lulls, and then it just you know uh, explodes. Uh, well, we're gonna wrap this up. You know, you've already kind of told us some of your what's on tap. Uh, you got any interesting live looks coming up? Uh, yeah, um, it's kind of it's kind of hit a low at this point after the Cape season uh, ends. Football starts for the kids and my wife's involved with the cheerleading program. So we're always like, uh, yeah, we're always busy. We're always all over the place. But um, yeah, I have uh, have a couple uh, data articles coming out. It's really just a list of like my 50 or so favorite hitters in the minors and why um, I'm going to do something similar for some pitchers uh, over the next couple of weeks. Um, have another article I'm gonna be doing with JJ. We're gonna draft uh relievers, reliever only guys in the minors. We're gonna have a reliever only draft and see what, <laughs> see, what see what see what comes of that. Uh should be fun. Um probably gonna do some maybe some best pitches stuff, but I might I might hold that till the end of the year. Um uh you know just not not like a top 100 best pitches which will come out in January or February. Um, it's going to be like guys that are 15 to 30 or outside their top thirties, you know, more like underrated sort of arms and that have great pitches. So we're going to be working on something like that as well. Um, but Cape stuff is out. So a lot of it now, I mean, top thirties are done. Uh, best tools are done for minor league, um, leagues. So a lot of it now is really just kind of leading up to the handbook and, um, you know, probably just be a lot of, uh, wrap up type of stuff, um, things along those lines and, you know, probably get back onto the podcast game. I've been out for about two, two months just, uh, on hiatus cause I've been at the park so much. It's just yeah. something I had to give. And, uh, because I talked to so many people in the game on a uh, 90th percentile, uh, it's, it's probably going to be something that's in hiatus, like July and August every year. And, uh, we'll have heavy activity in the off season when, all these guys are home and not working coaches and trainers, et cetera. Yeah. It's kind of have to be that way. I mean, that's, uh, it's tough that's to get guys on like, for, for 40 minutes, you know, any reasonable hour. Yeah. So yeah, you know, unless it's an, an interview or something like that. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always working on stuff, you know, I'm obviously we do the hot sheet. Yeah. Week. We could do the hot sheet. Podcast. Are you, are you headed out to Arizona for the fall league this year? Yeah. I'm going to be out in Arizona for the fall league. I'm going to be at the baseball HQ. So, uh, I there you go. with JJ two days ago. So I'm going to be there for fall stars. I'm coming in the day after Halloween. Cause Monday, Halloween is Monday and I'm not yes. missing Halloween with the kids and there's no games. Yes. So 
You're gonna try I fly to in on I fly on a, a late night Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to catch an early flight on Tuesday. Um, yeah. Fly out of Boston at like six or something. Hopefully get there in time and land on time and get a car and drive over to the ballpark and you know double up that first day. Um, but I'll be doubling up all week and then I'll be Fall Stars is Sunday. And yeah, Saturday, I just had to home change my thing. Yeah, I had to change my schedule. I, I did that this morning. Uh, uh, sadly, have to make a connection now at Dallas Love Field uh, to come home. But, I mean, I can't miss the Fall Stars game. If I'm going out there, you know, it, it's not even so much the Fall Stars game. I, I mean, it's good seeing that stuff. It's it's the pregame stuff. It's talking to the players. Yep. It's 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 all of that kind of stuff wrapped yeah. in one. Um so I, I look forward. We we haven't met, even though I'm going to be up in your your area. We actually haven't met ever. No, uh, so this person. is a, this is a this is a big deal. So um, anyway, thank 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 you, Jeff, for coming. Hey, coming man, on, thanks for having uh, me up this week. And uh, you know, uh, I, I don't have anything really coming up. Uh, we're going to sign Brent Andrew Painter. Um, uh, I know that he's sick right now, but he's coming off the injured list. We're going to just say he needs to go see Andrew Painter um, uh, sometime for our next episode. So fingers uh, crossed that I get him uh, next week. He's up here in Hartford. So okay, um, maybe my 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 goal is to get there. Friday. I assume that I'll see McGarry, Abel, Painter Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That's how okay. it's been lined up. So my. My 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 hope is that I get to see all three of those guys, and that will probably be some of my last look, live looks of the year until, until fall. Man, I, I'm going to WWBA too, actually. So oh, you are cool. stuff for the first time. Yeah, Teddy and Carlos are going to be at uh, Teddy Cahill's wedding, so um, I am now going to be down there working WWBA with my old coworkers from Perfect Game for a few days. So yeah, I got to book that too. So. Just, nice. We figured where, out all of our where, travel for, this for, week. For, we for our audience, where is W? Uh, that is the World Wooden Bat uh, Association Championships, the perfect game prep event. Um, it's all games. It's just like imagine four complexes, maybe even more, with four games going on at the same time. A um, lot of sort of the second tier hitters and underclass hitters are there in arms. Uh, you're not necessarily always going to get the big names. A lot of them aren't going to go to WWBA, um, but you get like the whole entirety of the class outside of the guys that everybody already knows. Um, so I'm excited because it's like, I like to be overwhelmed with baseball. So uh, the idea of having so many games that I can't possibly see everything stresses me out, but also excites me. So um, be driving around in a golf cart down in Jupiter and uh, yeah, Jupiter checking out some games man so yeah it's uh that will be that'll be a lot of fun i've never do, done wwba before but uh that would be crazy just long days at the park i'm gonna need a lot of backup battery for the cameras and uh just taking notes and, and writing up scouting reports you know so it's uh that's awesome yeah it'll be fun it'll be fun i haven't done it before but uh, i'm gonna have you know i'll have sack and, and Vinny uh and jared behind me to to guide me and Tell me where I should be heading to. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they tell you the right places. Uh, anyway, thank you again for joining us, and thank you to the audience for joining us on this week's Eyes Have It podcast. Uh, this was this was great. Uh, this was more than I could have expected, Jeff. So thank you for that. As always, thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. 
Uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can ask us questions at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com or reach us, reach out to us on Twitter. Brent is at Brent HQ. You can find me at C underscore blessing. If you have a question for Jeff, you can uh, send it. It's, it's, uh, what, what's your, uh, it's, it's, now? It is uh it is Jeff Ponce B A G E O F F P O N T E S B A. Yep. No longer prospect Jesus. He's no he's I'm graduated not. to uh, I've got to, that uh, park okay. though, so nobody can take it. Well, that's good. That's awesome. <laughs> um, first time listeners to our pod, click subscribe to get our features episodes. Spread the word about us too. Until next time, see you at the ballpark. <laughs>